Welcome to Catalytic Conversations. I'm Wendy Dickinson, founder of Ascend to Sell. I coach business owners on the psychological aspects of key transitions. My mission is to help my clients maximize returns and minimize their emotional regrets. And this podcast explores key transitional moments in the businesses of my guests. They explore their challenges, pivot points, and decision-making strategies. And as listeners, you have the opportunity to learn from people who have walked this path before you. Today, our guest is Tommy Howard, a former client of my husband, John Dickinson of Dickinson Williams and Company. Tommy's father, Mac, founded Squincher in 1975. Tommy, welcome to Catalytic Conversations. Thank you, Wendy, glad to be here. So Tommy, would you tell our audience a little bit about Squincher? Sure. Squincher is an electrolyte replacement drink. Uh, As you mentioned, it started in 1975 by my father. Uh, My father had uh, grown up in the beverage business and uh, and carbonated, primarily carbonated beverages. And being a big sports enthusiast, uh, really had the uh, desire to come out with a product competitive to Gatorade. This was back in the uh, early 70s. Uh, So he decided to create this product uh, with the help of some other folks who were very sports-minded and uh, knew quite a bit about nutrition. So they came up with this product back in 1975 and with the intent to market it towards the athletic trainers in, in the sporting, uh, the, you know, in the, the team sports world. And then from there, take it to other channels. And I ended up getting involved in the company in 1987. Well, Tommy, what was it like to join your father's business? I mean, was that always your plan? It was. You know, I, uh, again, had such a passion and belief in the product itself uh, growing up, using the product, knowing that it performed, and seeing that uh, really we were not doing, or the company at that time was not doing that much with Squincher because they had tried to market in the retail and quickly found out that that was uh, a very expensive venture to get into your mainstream retail. So when I joined the company in 87, um, we decided to take it in another direction to the industrial marketplace. And so it it was just an easy, yeah, it was an easy transition. So what do you mean by industrial marketplace? Industrial marketplace basically would be any work environment where the workers are perspiring, uh, any any kind of steel mill, construction site, any type of environment where you have what we used to coin as athletes in industry. So, you know, you have somebody where they're wearing protective clothing, perspiring profusely if they're out on a construction site. Uh, again, any work environment where they're uh, perspiring and they need to replace their electrolytes. And so we identified that as a channel to where, uh, we felt like we could, uh, create a market there. Uh, that that's what we did. So in other words, all these linemen that I'm passing who are trying to put the electrical grid back together up here in Virginia after these massive storms, are they probably using squincher? Absolutely. Um, I mean, absolutely. That, uh, that's exactly what I'm referring to. And again, any any whether it's uh, steel mills, construction sites, the the electrical world, anything where again these workers are uh, exerting themselves, they're putting our product back in to replace what they lost. 
So Tommy, how did it feel to assume control of your father's business? Because it sounded like you guys expanded it. Yes, it, it was, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have a great team around me uh, to where we were able to expand the product, uh, you know, not just the channels, even within the industrial side, but also geographically all over the world. And uh, again, it was uh, it was a good run. And we, again, had a great team around me to help get us to that point. So were, what were the challenges in that transition phase of leadership? You know, there really weren't that many challenges. I think it was it was viewed as just an opportunity because, again, at the point in time that we got involved in taking it to this market, Squinchy was nothing more than a trademark. So we, we saw it as an opportunity to do something with the product and um, – so there really weren't that many challenges, per se, in that regard. Well, you mentioned your team, that you had a great team around you. And um, I know that you have a close friend, Scott Bromley, who was the number per two person in your company. How, what were the advantages and disadvantages of working with a close friend like that? Well, Scott and I had known each other since college. We both attended LSU and were roommates there. And so I knew Scott very well. And after college, he went on to work with a hotel management company and was involved in, in the operations. So his mindset of being operationally minded and mine being more sales and marketing and in the creative side, I felt like we could work well together because he liked the behind the scenes and, and, and I was more comfortable in the sales and marketing. So you know, strength and weakness wise, I mean, we really complimented each other. What he could do, you know, what I could do, felt like it would be a good fit. Interesting. And so one of the things that I run into as a coach is that there are oftentimes friends who decide to become close, have, form a close working relationship professionally. Sometimes those things don't go so well. So how did you and Scott set that up to work? Well, we discussed that from the beginning and, and certainly knew that that was a risk. And obviously, it, it probably doesn't work out more times than it does. But fortunately, we uh, never, I mean, there were point in times where we didn't agree on things, but that's that's really, there's a lot of value in that. I mean, obviously, he can see, you know, he would see where I was trying to go and I would see where he was trying to go. And we would always come to a, uh, to a conclusion of what was best for the company. And, you know, we, we really never uh, had any uh, major uh, falling outs or anything like that. So I, I feel very blessed and thankful that was the case. And, and that also makes me want to ask you about with your dad and, and the relationship with your dad and your brother, the three of you working closely together, it, how did that transpire? How did the three of you set that up to work? And that was a bit more challenging. Was it? Yeah. You know, my, my dad and I, I love my dad more than anything in the world, but he and I, when it comes to business, uh, we have different mindsets from the standpoint of he is much more from the hip. Uh, very, very good entrepreneur. Always has super ideas. Uh, just not so good when it comes to uh, doing the, the things you need to do to get that idea uh, into action and, and so, uh, again, where his, he had strengths, uh, you know, we had different opinions 
of how to get the product to market. So at times that would present challenges, but we, we would figure it out. And then my brother and I always seemed to work well together. Again, he was, um, we complimented each other. So there wasn't as many challenges with, with my brother as my dad at times, but we always figured it out in the end. So I actually find that people run into trouble when they try to avoid those tough conversations. Did you guys come up with, it sounds like you, you came up with a way to talk through it, even when you didn't agree. We did. I mean, then again, there were ups and downs in that regard, but at the end of the day, we figured out how to make it work. And, and, you know, I think the the best way in something like that is to your point, you got hit it head on. And, and figure out what is in the best interest of the employees and the company. And that's what we would always do in the end and figure out, okay, we may not agree, but this is what's going to be best for the employees. And that's what we would always conclude and come, come to the decision based on that. Yeah. Okay. So now, Tommy, take us to that place where, where you guys had decided that you were going to pursue a sale. So, what led, what were some of the factors that led to that decision? And then what were your most important goals and objectives when you pursued the sale? Well, in 1995, uh, my brother and I purchased the company away from my dad. And uh, from then we, from 1995 to 2006, we had several really good years, uh, again, selling primarily into the industrial channel. And it was a situation where I had other family members involved that could still maintain equity. And we had several really good years, as I mentioned. So I decided to hire uh, an investment banker, your husband, John. And we, because I felt like the timing was just right. You know, Mm -hmm. we had several good years. The market was doing well. And it just felt like the right thing to do in order to give some liquidity to the other uh, family members put us in a position to where we could take the company to the next level uh, with somebody, with somebody providing us with additional capital and potentially setting it up to sell it to a, a strategic buyer one day. So I felt like the timing was right for all those reasons to hire an investment banker and, and find a, a partner. Well, that's really interesting. So you took the long view and not only planned on this first sale to the private equity group, but then knew that one day you'd find a strategic buyer as well. That was the goal, yes, because we didn't have the critical mass uh, at the first time, the first go around to sell it to a strategic buyer. Uh, We we needed to get a little more revenue, and I felt like it also be really more networked and connected in a world which we could put ourselves in front of somebody like a strategic buyer. So it was a good first move for us. And so what was it like to work with and partner with, with a private equity group? It was good. I learned quite a bit from, from the private equity group that we were with. You know, they were primarily financially uh, minded, but also had a couple partners that had some experience in the beverage world, as well as some other retail uh, companies. So they added, a tremendous value when it came to how we needed to, uh, what we needed to do from a financial perspective, as far as personnel, additional personnel to bring on, uh, from a marketing standpoint, ideas that we needed to implement to position ourselves for strategic later on. So they, they, they were really good. 
Well, that's great. So you've had a, a number of interesting working experiences with partnerships and, and working relationships between family and friends and then taking on people who have um, equity partnership. So how was the M&A process different the second time around with the private equity group as part of the process when you were looking for a strategic buyer? Again, they added value because they had several other companies in their portfolio and had been down this road before. So they, they knew the right questions to ask. They needed the right place to go look for the type buyer that we felt like would be the best fit. So that experience uh, was, was you know, it really added tremendous value at the end of the day because it, it puts you in a position to succeed and, and not waste a lot of time uh, talking to the wrong type of people. Uh, so yeah, and it, it's it was uh, it was good. And how did the goals change the second time around? I mean, you mentioned that it was your ultimate goal to begin with, so maybe it didn't. But were there any changes in your goals? Well, you know, we were a totally different company from 2006. I mean, we we had uh, we had grown quite a bit and added a tremendous amount of personnel. I don't think the goal necessarily changed. We again, we wanted to align ourselves with the strategic that would help take us into different verticals, and we were already in. Uh, you know, we continued to to do well in the industrial channel, and realize that if we're, we're going to take this uh, company to where it can go, we needed to have somebody involved that had uh, more connections in other verticals than what we had, and and so that that's you know we we set forth a mindset to look for strategic guys who, who would be able to do that for us. So what would you say the lessons were that you learned from each of the processes? And then how do those things impact your life today? Well, my advice to anybody that's going to look to go down this road would be make sure that you understand you know what you're getting into from the standpoint of partnership do you can you handle having partners um can you handle the accountability that's going to be in place when you have uh partners involved uh make sure you uh, are okay working in a different environment when it comes to that uh you know i would tell you that um it's critical to make sure that you go through the vetting process and understand what their goals and objectives are and what your goals and objectives are equally aligned. Um, I would, I would, you know, certainly suggest that you uh, figure out whether you want to stay involved with this PE firm, whoever you're joining with, to, you know, is it the goal to eventually roll this to another PE firm and continue to do so? Or do you want to take this to a strategic buyer eventually? And if so, what involvement do you want to have? That's really great advice. And and the other thing I'm wondering about, because you mentioned earlier that you feel like part of Squinter's success was having a great team around you. And that also helped with um, ease that, that transition period. So when future business owners who may be listening to this are considering partnering with a private equity group, and you mentioned, you know, making sure that the goals and objectives are aligned and that you can have a partner. It also sounds like there needs to be a cultural fit to some extent, or, or at least an alignment of values of how the people want to do business. Would, is that also true? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, 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 
infirm, you, 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 you want to make sure, first of all, I could not have done anything without the team that I had around me. And, you know, from a cultural standpoint, it, it's critical that if you're going to if you're going to sell to a strategic, you know, you want to make sure, uh, at least I wanted to make sure that everybody was going to maintain their job. Everybody was going to, uh, you know, understand the working environment they were about to enter into. And yeah, so I, I think that is, is critical because there's a reason the product and the company has had the success it's had. And so you want to make sure you continue to take care of your customer, uh, product quality is, is huge. You know, making sure that you, again you you understand why you are where you are today, and that's not always the case. I mean, there's certain acquisitions that take place, and the rationalization process kicks in, and they, they, they don't want, they don't want redundancies and so forth. And I understand that, but you know, you, you again, you have to be well aware of what you're getting into and, and, and why you decided to go that route. And and you know, we were fortunate enough to where we could kind of determine and choose who we wanted to align ourselves with to, to ensure that the employees were going to keep their jobs and, and they recognize the value of the channel we were already selling into. And again, the hope was to expand through the other verticals that they were selling into. And what's interesting to me about that is, is that I find with my clients that legacy and employee well-being, as well as the purchase price, are all equal as far as priorities are concerned. And it sounds like those were certainly, that was certainly the case for, for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so the other question I have for you, Tommy, do you have any role with Squincher now? I do not. Mm -hmm. um, I finished with Squincher uh, at the end of uh, 2017. And uh, it was, uh, it was a great run. Yeah, it sounds like it was. So any final advice, Tommy, or recommendations for owners considering a sale? Anything you left out? Well, again, I would just make sure when, when you are about to sell that you really have taken all things into consideration as far as what you want to do next. I mean, do you, because uh, it's, it's not all about the money. You, you really need to take into consideration, you know, do you want to retire? Do you want to stay involved in the company? If you do want to stay involved in the company, uh, again, can you handle having partners? And if that's the case, and you know, how long do you want to do this? Um, make sure your, your, your employees are taken care of and, and understand exactly what the, the goals, objectives are uh, and that they are equally aligned. Mm, that's great advice. Tommy, I can't thank you enough for joining me today in a catalytic conversation. You've given everyone a chance to learn through your experiences, and I appreciate that so much. Well, thank you, Wendy, and good luck. Thank you. And listeners, feel free to reach out with questions or comments. If you'd like to learn more about working with me as your coach, feel free to call me at 804-372-7575 or go to my website, ascendtosell.com. I'd love it if you'd leave a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your other business owner friends. Thanks so much and have a great day.